what a lark, what a plunge. For so it always had seemed to her, when with a little squeak of the hinges, which she could hear now, she had burst open the French windows and plunged at Borton into the open air. How fresh, how calm, stiller than this, of course, the air was in the early morning, like the flap of a wave, the kiss of a wave, chill and sharp, and yet, for a girl of 18 as she was then, solemn, feeling as she did, standing there at the open window, that something awful was about to happen. Looking at the flowers, at the trees with the smoke winding off of them, and the rooks rising, falling, standing and looking until Peter Walsh said, Musing among the vegetables? Was that it? I prefer men to cauliflowers. Was that it? He must have said it at breakfast one morning when she had gone out onto the terrace. Peter Walsh. He would be back from India one of these days, June or July. She forgot which, for his letters were awfully dull. It was his sayings one remembered. His eyes, his pocket knife, his smile, his grumpiness. And when millions of things had utterly vanished, how strange it was. A few sayings like this about cabbages. Hello and welcome, I'm Douglas Bowles and this is 42 Minutes, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. A production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Saturday, June 16th, 2018, Bloomsday. I wasn't even aware of that. And this is the summer installment of the 42 Minutes Seasonal Book Club. Today I'm joined by Zanor to discuss Virginia Woolf's 1925 modernist masterpiece, Mrs. Dalloway. Mrs. Dalloway chronicles a June day in the life of Clarissa Dalloway, a day that is taken up with running minor errands in preparation for a party, and a day which is punctuated toward the end by the suicide of a young man she had never met. Miss Dalloway is Wolf's first complete rendering of what she described as the luminous envelope of consciousness, a dazzling display of the mind's inside as it plays over the brilliant surface and darker depths of reality. It's an interesting bookend to our Bloomsday show, which took place also in one day. Miss Dalloway said she would buy the flowers herself. How are you doing tonight, Snore? Very good. That was, that was a great intro. Thank you. Um, I, uh, where do you want to start? I think that first passage that you just read, it has so much, so much in it, right? It's almost a summary of a lot of things from the, like, why did, why did you decide to choose that passage in particular to? Well, so it's hard to know, it's hard to know where, like you said, where to start with this one, because it really feels like there's so much in this book. Yeah. Like... There, there's a whole universe in the, in this book. It it definitely annoyed me <laughs> at times. Yeah, but it's it's weird like that, isn't it? Like her writing, because uh, yeah, me me too. It, I get I get annoyed by her writing, and on on one level, yeah, it seems very 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 superficial in a, in a way, right? But then you just read a little bit under. You just pay attention to the prose, really, and then and it just takes you into such depth you know well i definitely so i did this one twice and what i realized was there was a lot of detail in the beginning that i missed just because it seems like when you're in the stream of the thing so that's the thing that i really realized that going through the second time is that even though there's this kind of stream of consciousness quality or i mean it's not a quality i mean it's just stream of consciousness you're just kind of floating around it's right. the structure is really precise and you realize that it i think it was really composed you know oh yeah 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 f- for the listeners describe the structure a little bit and talk about you know what you think she was trying to accomplish with this um well it's yeah it's like you said um takes place in one day in june in london and the day is uh, she had written in her diaries, it's supposed to have been uh, June 13th, um, 1923. So it's five years after the end of World War I. Um, 
which is significant for her because it, for most of the war years, she had had a like sustained mental breakdown. Um, so she's just recovering from that herself five years later. But um, a big part of it is it's talking about the upper middle class in uh, in Britain in London at the time. This this uh, um, kind of socialite, rich socialite called uh, Clarissa Dalloway, Mrs. Dalloway, um, who's married to uh, Richard Dalloway, who is he, is he? He's an MP, right? Uh, I don't. He, I think he yeah. was. I don't know that he made it to Parliament. He was. He was. He's. They're definitely upper class, but it seemed like when he went to that luncheon with Lady. Um. What's her name? Uh, Okay, I, okay. I confuse it with like the summer or her childhood home. So there's uh, Bruton, yeah, Miss yeah. Uh, Lady Bruton, is it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it. Um, yeah, you might be right. Like he, maybe he's he's definitely a bureaucrat. Yeah, who does work with the government, but I, yeah, you might be right that he's not actually an MP. Um, but in a way, what she's talking, what Wolf is talking about, is like uh, it's kind of like that upper middle class um in britain which is a highly like stratified uh culture to begin with right it's just it hasn't really taken into account the effect of world war 1 and the fact that everything has broken down you know it's almost like they're trying to th- this class is trying to uh hold on to the old days or or almost oblivious that the old world has fallen apart completely um and uh and then mrs dalloway's right in the center of that it's interesting that uh in her in wolf's early earlier version of this book which was called the hours um oh really yeah it was Mrs. Dalloway who was to commit suicide at her party that she gives at the end of the book. Hmm. Uh, and then she decides that, uh, no, we've got to introduce a new character. And then she introduces um, Septimus, Septimus Warren Smith, who's a uh, World War I veteran. Um, who He's suffering from shell shock, but it's... It's something deeper than shell shock. It's not just shell shock because he's he's having full on like schizophrenic episodes where he's he's thinking that he's receiving messages from the universe and that he's it's his job to to save reality. Um, and he's he's having all these hallucinations about uh, listening to the birds and hearing them uh, speak in Greek to him and telling him messages on the on the nature of life and death. Um, and the interesting part was that uh, Virginia Woolf also had that experience in one of her breakdowns. Is that the the birds were speaking to her in, in Greek? <laughs> so some of the, some of those passages, those the uh, the the Septimus passages, are incredible. Yes, that it seemed like a lot of my bookmarks are. And so, like, I guess that could be explained to the the listeners that the book floats through from character to character, and you kind of are in their point of view, experiencing the world as they're experiencing the world. And it starts in the morning, and you spend a lot of time with Clarissa, and you also spend a lot of time with Septimus, but there are other characters like uh, uh, Peter Walsh. Um, a love interest that Clarissa rejected. He was like a suitor of hers. There's a Sally Seton, like a her childhood friend. So the interesting thing that I, I mean, I I definitely want to talk about Septimus because there's almost this, there's a notion of materiality and like being or pure consciousness and like nature, and right. it's it's interesting right. because the idea of the World War One you know, breaking, like, really just technology and modern, like, modern life really kind of, you know, I don't, you know, just ending, and uh, you know, away. Like, right. uh, yeah, 
like just totally obliterating the the uh, the old order. Right, and and so it seems like, but so th- on a superficial level, it seems like this is a book written by someone in their forties about someone in their fifties looking back at their twenties with without an like th- there's no ability to connect or feel. It seems like all the characters are trying to feel, but they can't. Mm feel anymore they they can't you know being alive is kind of like this this singular uh individual like communion with with nature there's this kind of the scene that really was interesting to me that is the when the the royals are in their car and there's right. like like yeah. there's a bus and all you can do is kind of speculate about who's in the car and who's driving the car and it seems like that's kind of the metaphor for like consciousness you know like uh i think the word cybernetics comes from some greek word about like governor like who is who's who's driving yeah yeah and then, and then, and then, right after that, it sort of segues into the uh, the part of, uh, with the with the airplane writing uh, smoke uh, smoke letters in the sky, like smoke, like an advertisement in the sky. Um, and it, it it goes directly from that car, the scene with the car. Everybody's watching the car, and then and then everybody looks up and and sees these letters forming in the sky from smoke. And it's the same kind of thing. It's like a um, nobody can make out what the what the letters are they're they're all like forming and dissolving and uh so i i found that was kind of those two things are very interesting yeah, yeah. and then, that's a complete completely new medium too at that time the the smoke letters in the sky but i mean again there's that idea of like being part of nature and it like you're having this this interaction with it so like septimus is out there and he thinks the secrets of the universe are being communicated to him but then from a, a another point of view it could be that he's having like a full-blown mystical experience where his filters are gone he doesn't have any mm-hmm. filter, you know and so he can't um Okay, so with with Septimus Smith, he's got his doctor. He's got uh, Doctor Holmes, I think it is, but Doctor yeah. Holmes is not working out. And then it's uh, Bradshaw. 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 And yeah. I really felt like Bradshaw is kind of this representation. So his his line was a sense of proportion, and it's about submission and colonialism. And there's something really, like really nasty about him that I really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that that part where, um, see, I, I guess it's the narrator speaking at that point. Like it might be Wolf herself, but she's talking about um, the goddess of proportion. But then the goddess of proportion has sort of this uh, dark sister called conversion, right? And that's when uh, oh, that's yeah. when she she arrives when proportion gets too extreme and and when people decide that everything must be put in order <laughs> you know like it's it's not a it's not a matter of uh, proportion is good for you it's like you must be in proportion yeah <laughs> the chaos of your life that that we determine at least has to be put in order you know and that's that's conversion right um and then that other uh that other strange character uh miss kilman Remember her, Miss Doris Gilman. Yeah. Uh, And she's got that kind of edge to her. She's this um, uh, Christian, basically, kind of like a kind of like a fundamentalist Christian. And she has some influence over uh, Mrs. Dalloway's eighteen-year-old daughter Elizabeth. Um, I guess yeah, seventeen. I I think she's just turning eighteen. You know, that's the interesting part. Is that. uh, um, so you have in that passage that you just read at the beginning, um, she's flashing back to a time when she's 18, and that's just the time where her daughter is at uh, during the time of the book, right? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a, it's kind of a balance there. It's it's almost like uh, 
all of these characters are sort of like, uh, um, what's his name? Peter Walsh and Mrs. Dalloway and then her, her uh, husband Richard and even Sally are all kind of flashing back to those days at, uh, what is it, Bruton? Broughton or? Borton? Borton, yeah, yeah. But is that her childhood home? Yeah, it says I, in my version of the text, it says it's like a. Uh, uh, or see. her like country estate. Country estate kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Borton. Yeah, the country house where Clarissa, uh, Clarissa Perry had grown up, probably located in the West Country. It kind of made me think about like Joseph Campbell and this idea of the hero's call, you know. So like. <sighs> heroes you know you're a young person you're in your 20s and so what is it this the, your call to adventure and so mm -hmm. uh, you know so clarissa by picking richard dalloway she definitely picked stability but she clearly was in love like really in love with with peter and Sally. And, and Sally. And, yeah. Like yeah. the greatest moment of her life, I think, is what it says, is the one kiss with Sally. Yeah. Yeah. And and you notice in the uh the movie The Hours, um, that uh the Meryl Streep uh character who is Clarissa and she gets called Mrs. Dalloway throughout the movie, um, she she gets together with this woman called Sally. So she's in a relationship with this, this woman called Sally. And then there's Richard, um, who is her ex, who's dying of AIDS. Which is, so there's all these kind of interesting twists in that movie. Like, it, um, uh, like there's, there, there are parallels, but whoever the author is of, of that movie or that book or whatever, The, the Hours... Um, they're kind of playing with the plot of uh, Mrs. Dalloway and sort of twisting uh, certain um, certain items in it in, a, in an interesting way. But uh, no, I think um, if we go back to that uh, the passage that you read, though, I think it's like a like that just that first thing. It says, "What a lark! What a plunge!" Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have these two things. You have lark, and uh, um, when you read that, you think of up like flying upwards you know flying upwards and it's so it's something that's so fun and so uh makes you want to jump up or whatever you like a like a bird sort of flying up into the sky and then and then what a plunge right and so that's that's the complete opposite right and then this word plunge it keeps getting repeated through the uh through the novel to the end where it's it's septimus who plunges off the uh oh of the building, right? Yeah. And 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 uh, Mrs. Dalloway is even describing it as a plunge. Um, so, so it's it's uh, it's interesting like that. And then there's there, there are other words that uh, that keep getting repeated, like wave. You know, did you notice that? It just there's wave. I I, I started underlying them. It just wave, wave, wave all the way through. Her language is really easily taken for granted, like her prose. You don't... I, I I recognized it the first time through. I thought, oh, this is exquisite. But you don't realize the depths, or I didn't realize the depths until I went through a second time. And then it's like, oh, yeah. You know, they're... Like, that's the interesting thing about trying to, like, pull quotes from this is that it's all connected. It all, it all feels connected yeah, it's, yeah. It's hard to just like it's. Yeah, I was reading about that, like uh, some some piece about this book, and uh, they were saying how it how musical it is with all these, just these words sort of, uh, um, kind of, like threading in and out of the prose, like a, kind of a, like a leitmotif or something, mm. as as in like a like a classical piece of music. Some. Um, somebody I was reading even was comparing it to uh, like uh, twelve-tone music, you know, where you have these different consciousnesses all appearing at once, um, sort of weaving in and out. Uh, but uh, the waves, I, I was noticing the waves because um, because of her book, The Waves, which is the first book of hers that I read, which 
it it's even more extreme than this book in the way that it ties um, the consciousnesses of of in in the waves. It's about six different people, and it ties them all together. And it's just like one just flows into into the other constantly all the way through the book. It's uh, um, it's 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 uh, her most experimental novel the waves but um i really kind of understand it more now after reading uh, mrs dalloway but uh but i also thought it was an interesting connection with uh, infinite jest right because uh infinite jest um ends with that right that that uh oh yeah that passage where he's talking about uh um let me read it as the floor wafted up and C's grip finally gave, the last thing Gately saw was an oriental bearing down with a held square, and he looked into the square and saw clearly a reflection of his own big square pale head with its eyes closing as the floor finally pounced. And when he came back to, he was flat on his back on the beach in the freezing sand, and it was raining out of a low sky, and the tide was way out. And especially that that last sentence and the tide was way out that's exactly um all the way through the waves there's no uh the only thing that breaks up the uh uh the kind of like interior sort of stream of consciousness stuff is is a sort of naturalistic description of of the waves and the tide coming into a beach um and people people reading infinite jest they've picked up on that 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 he's uh david foster wallace is directly referring to this book by virginia wolf and then but you can already see it in mrs dalloway with uh she's talking about the waves constantly all the way through that book um and it's kind of um this wave of perception of all these things coming together at once Oh, and the dog barking that's that that and that continues all the way through too you know the uh uh what's that part with the septimus he's always talking about it, how how the uh the dog barking <laughs> signifies the uh, uh can i read this part by uh yeah. the septimus part this is excellent uh so he's he's in a park um he's sitting down on a park bench and then he's just looking up um, but they beckon, leaves were alive, trees were alive, and the leaves being connected by millions of fibers with his own body, there on the seat, fanned it up and down. When the branch stretched, he too made, this, uh, made that statement. The sparrows fluttering, rising, and falling in jagged fountains were part of the pattern. The white and blue, barred with black branches, sounds made harmonies with premeditation. The spaces between them were as significant as the sounds. A child cried. Rightly, far away, a horn sounded. All taken together meant the birth of a new religion. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I just find the, the psychedelic, like the, the entire book. Well, the interesting thing that I found was how often they invoked science. Yeah, he's, he's, he's always saying that uh, one must always be scientific. And, and of course, he's not scientific at all. You know? <laughs> but it's, it's almost like science is this tool that they'll be able to use to explore the mysteries. You know, so like it's. I I feel like science has become almost like a a dogma now. So there's like it's not the it's not the tool that we care about. It's the like scientific materialism where it's the uh, material is all of a sudden kind of privileged over the mystery say and it's just sucks the mystery out and then you know we end up in kind of the that devoid space that they're all trying to you know connect with life in you know so like uh it's almost like their point of view is you know here's this new tool that'll help them connect but i, I mean so like thinking about like that every time i took a note it was like oh yeah don't forget that this is between world war one and world war two you know like this yeah. this is the the thing but i definitely noted how science was this hopeful thing 
Yeah, yeah. It's hard to it's hard to say. Like he, uh, especially Septimus, he's he's the one always invoking science. Like he's saying one must always be scientific. But then he's talking about all these different powers that he's he's gained. <laughs> you know, like he can he can see through people, and he he's got this um, uh, synesthesia. Like he can he can see colors become uh, become music and. Um, yeah, all of this stuff, and then and then his uh, his wife is interesting too, right? Um, Razia. Yeah. And she. Um, this part too, where she's talking about, um, it's just right uh, right at that point where Septimus is in the park, kind of freaking out, um, and she's saying, "I am alone. I am alone." She cried by the fountain in Regent's Park, staring at the Indian and his cross. As perhaps at midnight, when all boundaries are lost, the country reverts to its ancient shape, as the Romans saw it, lying cloudy, when they landed and the hills had no names and rivers wound, they knew not where, such was her darkness. And this is directly coming from Conrad, who, who Wolf was really into, right? So you read The Heart of Darkness, and it, it starts out like that, too. That this um, this coming down the, the Thames into the ocean. Um, and Conrad, uh, the character in, in that story, he's saying this was once uh, a land of darkness as well when the Romans got here, you know. Um, so it's like, it's like going up the Congo River, except it's, it's the Thames, <laughs> you know. But, but at that time it was very similar. And then she's having kind of these flashbacks of, of, uh, of those dark old ancient days in uh, in london she's um just to explain like she's uh um, she's italian and she met septimus right after the war um and returned with him to uh london but she kind of hates london yeah. oh here's somebody hi it's Lacey. hey hi so what did you think of the book Lacey? I really liked it. I struggled some at some point to like find my rhythm with it, but once I set enough time aside and could really get into it, I enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Is it um, something that you had to kind of like just race through? Like you had to stay in that space and and get through it or did you have to uh could you read it in little bites? Um, I had to do medium-sized bites. I had to have enough time to... It couldn't be... I couldn't just do it, like, half-hour chunks. I had to have enough time to find the the prosody of language, to, like, really get into that. When I started into this, it was the royal wedding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I really enjoyed the... Because it it took me a long time to try and figure out who who this royal was, you know, like they're speculating about who this was, and it it, it was I think her name was Queen Alexandra of Denmark, and she married like Edward or someone that was the king. But so that was happening at the same time we had our our you know the the royal wedding was going on huh. that and but then later on it seemed like so there is this. I mean, suicide is one of these major themes, and and with, it, her, with her last book too, right? Yeah, but then it's so interesting because both the authors also killed themselves. Yeah, yeah. And then, and you know, and then right on top of that, you had Kate Spade kill herself, and then Anthony Bourdain also. And I think all three: David Foster Wallace, Kate Spade, and Anthony Bourdain hung themselves, which is just. It's kind of a yeah. lot. It's yeah. Um, the the other thing with um, with Virginia Woolf, yeah, like, like she she drowned herself, right? Like she put rocks in her clothes and then and then uh, sank into the river. Um, but she she died in 1941, which is the same year that Joyce died, and they were born both in 1882 within a week of one another. Um, so they have the exact same dates. It's like 18, 1882 to 1941. Um, 
I I almost I was starting to wonder like maybe like like Joyce died first. He died in, he died in January and I think um uh, Virginia Woolf was the end of uh March. Um but I was wondering if if his death because they were so closely aligned in certain ways like in a way kind of rivals too but uh I was wondering if that might have helped set her over the edge. Like of course, there's a lot going on. Like it was, it was in the war too, right? And that was that was a big thing. But uh, um, when did uh, remind me? When did Ulysses come out? It it came out on uh, February second, nineteen twenty two, which is Joyce's fortieth birthday. So, so then, this book it seems like an answer to that kind of, doesn't it? it? Well, it is like she was reading um, Ulysses when uh, when she first started to write this one. Um, so it, it definitely is an answer, but it's like a, it's a it's a really really interesting answer, you know, um, because you, you notice uh, in Ulysses you read that and it's it's all this interior monologue stuff, stream of consciousness stuff, but it. Um, the characters are really well defined, you know. Um, you don't have a sort of meshing of consciousness, whereas in this book, um, they sort of all, and especially with the with the waves afterwards, it, it all sort of flows into one another. Um, but she was. Um, I found another quote on that. She was. Uh, she read in her. She was writing in her diary, and. Uh, I guess this is 1923, and she, she, she's writing about this discovery that she had. My discovery, how I dig out beautiful caves behind my characters. I think that gives exactly what I want. Humanity, humor, depth. The, I, the idea is that all caves should connect, and each comes to daylight at the present moment. So it's like, she's going way beyond Freud, you know? She's, she's going into Jungian territory, where... where you can get further and further back into the unconscious, but then, as 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 like a cave system, all of the unconscious minds of 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 these characters connect somewhere, <laughs> um, and so it's almost like she's rooting back in her prose, like she's rooting back or like uh, spelunking back to the to the parts of the cave where the, where all the passages interconnect. Uh, Did you happen to watch the movie, The Hours, Lacey? No, not yet. Yeah, it's in, it's an interesting movie. It's uh, I, don't know, I um, I think I uh, I saw the drawbacks um, in the same way you you were saying, Doug. But uh, it was just interesting the what what the director or what the writer was doing with uh, how he was relating it to to this book. Yeah, I mean, so it definitely. I don't know that it, it's it's a it's a quite different experience. But yeah. it, it has this uh, the same story is in there. Hmm. There's also on YouTube. There's a uh, there's an older video of Mrs. Dalloway. I don't know when it was put out, and it's more like kind of old style, um, kind of realistic um, literary filmmaking. You know, uh-huh. um, it's it, it reminds me of the the kind of old movie versions of Ulysses, which they and it it's like they kind of follow the plot of the story but they don't it doesn't get into the depth at all you know yeah no. which the hours that movie does a better job at although it's like you said it's to, it's 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 very different than the book what kind of things did you come away from this experience with Lacey well i you know uh the themes about women and marriage were really interesting to me um and I'm not married so I feel like I don't know what it's like to be with someone for a long time and have those lack of conversations or not needing to have conversations just kind of reading each other's mind kind of a thing which I feel like times she did with Peter and um husband Richard Richard thank you and just the 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 
his process of giving her flowers and all of that and how happy he was and how... But he still couldn't do it, though. He couldn't yeah. say what he wanted to say. Yeah, he couldn't for- form those words. And she kind of knew exactly what he was trying to say and how happy they made her. So the intent, the action and the intent had the desired effect. Yeah, um, there's that one part, it's in uh, Peter Walsh's thoughts, and he's he's uh, reflecting back on the on the on the time that they had together at the uh, the country house, and he was saying like you like you just said that uh, he and Clarissa could go into each other's minds, you know. Yeah. Which I yeah I thought that was great too. Well, so what about the decisions she made? Like, the, this is one of the things you were amusing about a little bit earlier. Where, I mean. She really loved Sally, and she had this connection with with Peter, but then she, she ended up – I think Peter even said you're going to be the kind of lady that just throws parties. Right, in, in the perfect middle. hostess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she's even – when she's at the party, she's just kind of like standing on the landing playing a role. And it's like – what do we make of these choices that she made and what is she, you know what does clarissa think about that yeah it's it's kind of what you were saying before too it's it's all of these characters reflecting back on the on the days when they were younger and thinking and and full of promise and uh, about what their lives are going to be like and sally especially has so much spark to her in those days right like running around naked, <laughs> but uh, um, and then and then she comes back to the party. They finally get together again, and then Sally's got like uh, she's got five boys herself. I think it's seven. Is it seven? I think it's five. Okay, but I mean, they it it comes out of her mouth about like fifteen times. Yeah, yeah, and and. Uh, and everybody's thinking, "Wow, she! We expected so much of Sally, and now she's like, now she's a mother. Like she seems happy enough, but that kind of that spark seems to be gone, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, and then Peter, it's the same thing. Like he expected to do all these things, and and it didn't really happen in his life either. Um, yeah. Uh, so it's that's that's a kind of sad theme of the story yeah and it seems that at least for clarissa too you know she she feels all the feelings about about it It, you know before the party she's happy and feels like giving parties is her gift and um yeah you get the sense that she's like an an artist at giving parties you know that's her that's her medium yeah and she takes great pleasure in it and right and I think she says, like, I can't remember where it was, but, you know, people do all these things and I do this and it's my gift to the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, she, I, she, she, uh, she gives parties to allow people to connect together. Yeah. That's, that's her way of helping the world, in, in a sense. Exactly. And so even though she, you know, didn't want to to be the hostess or um, to have that be what she's seen as. She also really, you know, takes great pride and pleasure in it. Yeah, which is the weird thing that um, like we were talking about this earlier about uh, how in Wolf's original version of of this book, which he was going to call the Hours. Um, Clarissa was supposed to die at the party. Like Clarissa was going to kill herself at the party, um, and uh, so she changed that, and so Septimus died instead. But it's um, her feelings are still there. Like uh, um, so, she had the ability to to kill herself, right? Like she mm-hmm. um, she was to that level of. Sadness, I guess, or mm-hmm. 
which that's interesting too you know so. yeah they're very dynamic characters and multi-layered and and you really get to see all of their emotions in one day which yeah well, they're, yeah, they're painted with enough subtlety that you you're forgiving of their shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Because basically, I mean, towards the end, we realize what a bitch Clarissa can be. Like mm-hmm. she's got the cousin; she really didn't want to invite the cousin to the party. Oh but, yeah. But it's and and I think Peter and Sally were talking right at the very end and talking about oh how mean she was to her and that kind of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And though though they meet with um, uh, Lady Burton, and for lunch and how I think she makes a comment about how Clarissa like cuts people down and puts them back together. Hmm. Or something. How awful she can be. Yeah. We didn't talk at all about Hugh. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he's a hard one to talk about. <laughs> well, he's, he's got a pen. It's 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 a great pen. Yeah. <laughs> and what did he buy for his wife? He was, uh, a jewelry. Spanish jewelry, I think. Oh, Spanish jewelry, yeah. But and he, he, he's such a snob, you know, like you... Oh yeah, he made like the is it the shopkeeper? He's got the same yeah, size neck as his wife. It's like I'm not buying <laughs> this until you get the shopkeeper. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I need to see it on. Hey, what about that part? Um, this is I thought this was kind of the I don't know like the the most startling part of the book or the most like the weirdest part where. Um, Peter Welsh is walking through the park and then he's interrupt his thoughts are interrupted by this woman like a like a homeless woman or oh, something yeah. Just singing yeah yeah and she's like this mother goddess basically right mm-hmm. she um throughout all ages when the pavement was grass when it was swamp through the age of tusk and mammoth through the age of silent sunrise the battered woman for she, uh, for she wore a skirt with her right hand exposed, her left clutching at her side, stood, stood singing of love, love which has lasted a million years. She sang love which prevails, and millions of years ago, her lover, who had been dead these centuries, had walked, she crooned, with her in May. But in the course of ages, long as summer days and flaming, she remembered with nothing but red asters. He had gone. Death's enormous sickle had swept those tremendous hills, and when she at last, uh, she laid her hoary and immensely aged head on the earth, now become a mere cinder of ice, she implored the gods to lay by her side a bunch of purple heather there on her high burial place, where the last rays of the last sun caressed, for then the pageant of the universe would be over. <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> like, I had to look into that. Like, she was... Um, uh, Wolf was a huge fan of of this uh, woman. I don't know if you guys have have read her, but she's uh, Jane Ellen Harrison, um, and she's excellent. She's a uh, ancient Greek uh, scholar, like researcher, um, kind of a student of Fraser in a way. Um, but she's one of the first to look at the kind of uh, matriarchal. Uh, society and and religion religion especially that existed before the olympian um gods of of greece before the kind of uh patriarchal phase or or olympian phase of of greek religion um and so wolf was really into her stuff and that's all coming through that passage is so it seems like that's um that's almost the central part of the book and she's just this this old woman who's being described as like a well i thought i mean a like a pump. Yeah. <laughs> like, like a, a beggar a beggar queen. woman yeah she is yeah. she uh peter walsh gives gives her a a, a coin at the end right? yeah yeah she's just singing Eum fam so like who knows what she's singing and Rezia, she she taught like that's how they go back between the two storylines i think is that yeah she's a part of it too and then i thought she came back a little bit later 
the old woman? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm or not maybe. sure. There, there's that other old woman who lives in the house right next to uh, Clarissa. And Clarissa goes, after she hears about uh, Septimus's suicide, she goes off by herself in this quiet room where nobody's there, away from the party. And she looks out her window across to the house next to her, and then she sees this old woman in the in the opposite house getting ready for bed. And it it kind of like, yeah, you get the sense that maybe those two are, are linked. You know? Well, I really liked how how angry she became that who are these people and why would they share this news at my party? Yeah, yeah, when Bradshaw, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was Lady Bradshaw. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then later it, it, it almost heals her in a way, you know? It's like, uh, it's almost that's uh, what Wolf intended. It's like Septimus died so that Clarissa wouldn't have to die, you know? And so Septimus died and then that made her, her own life much more valuable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's strange because I don't know why, but I got the impression that Septimus is like older but he's not he's not older no he's he's young like he's a like 30s? he's a young guy early 30s i think yeah, so I his think. life was ahead of him lots of promise they're saying that you know uh his his bosses at his job think he's great yeah he was getting promotions that's interesting too that he he jumped from a building and uh to kill himself and she did that too. She tried to commit suicide, jumped from a building in back in 1904, I think. Um, oh, so and this... that footnote about um, from when he was sitting and on the beginning of them sitting at the park and something about him hearing people um, speaking Greek. Birds. The birds, yeah. And then the footnote said something about Virginia Woolf that happening to her either before or after the first time she committed suicide. Yeah, yeah. Or tried, yeah. To, tried to commit suicide. Yeah, I think that was um, around the same time, like uh, 1904. I only remember 1904 because that's when, uh, that's when the original Bloomsday was, right? Um, so that's happening. That's an interesting part, too, is like Joyce is meeting up with Nora on that day and then at the same time in the same year at least um, Virginia Woolf's going completely mad and trying to kill herself right? we're kind of winding down but I'm wondering my own impression was that this is much easier to read than Ulysses mm. but but there is that shifting There's there's something that you have to kind of get used to is that that shifting point of view or consciousness. Yeah. yeah, and and to notice the like to be aware of the transitions from I yeah. think after a little bit you kind of can once you find the rhythm then you can kind of see where one person's storyline ends and blends into the next. Mm. But it takes some practice, I think. Uh, have you read any of her other stuff, Lacey? Or? No, I haven't. Yeah, um, I'd really recommend the waves for you guys if if the waves. Uh, yeah, that's um, when did it come out? Nineteen thirty-one or something? It's supposed to be the most experimental of of her novels, mm. but it's just that idea that you're talking about how the um, consciousness is sort of it's it's almost indistinguishable in in the waves. But uh, now I, I now now uh, I really want to read more of her stuff like I wasn't even after I read the waves I wasn't really a fan yet of her stuff um, but just now reading Mrs. Dalloway and then from it kind of figuring out what she was trying to do in the waves I really want to read the novels in between those two um, mm. like especially Orlando it, that sounds like a great one I think they say that this one, Miss Dalloway, definitely typifies the whole, you, you know, moment that they were in, like the modernist moment. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. 
it's interesting because I don't think I you know I think when people are in the moment they're just in the moment they're not like trying to like create a paradigm it's like here's the paradigm that we're living in it's like they're just expressing the nature that they're living in mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it's that's just such a, a curiosity to me that, well, that you can't see it until you're out of it kind of it's the water you know the yeah. water in the fishbowl mm-hmm. i was just like the beginning bit of her walking to get the flowers and and the, her stream of consciousness it, like going from the past to the future to the present to like some random thing. It just kind of, it makes sense in my brain. Cause that sometimes, you know, if you notice, like if you think about after you get to some place, like walking downtown or something and you get to the place you're going and you think back, like, Whoa, think of all the places that I was thinking and all the distractions I saw. I kind of, I can relate to that. Yeah. Thinking and a then, million things in a in a like a three block radius. Yeah, exactly. Like if you were to write down all those million things, you'd have a book by yourself, right? Like just <laughs> <laughs> just walking to the store. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I I saw this interesting um, essay where they were uh, this guy was comparing um, different stream of consciousness um, styles from different writers. Uh, around the same period, the, the the same sort of modernist period, and there's um, so they had a passage from Ulysses, and it was just um, Leopold Bloom's thoughts, and you know how his thoughts are, where you're just sort of inside his head, and it's almost like you're um, you're seeing the sentences pop up in his head. Um, and it's it's really realistic. You have all these uh, sentences that are just cut off. You really know the kind of thought process of Bloom as he's thinking when he's walking through the streets of Dublin. But then this guy was saying that uh, with Virginia Woolf, it's a it, it's a similar thing. You have stream of consciousness, but it's it's weird in a way because this kind of uh, it's it's not. Uh, in every case, it's written in this kind of poetic or literary style. Um, so it's it's definitely the character's inner voice, but at the same time, there's kind of this universal uh, poetic nature to it, which mm-hmm. which takes it to a it takes it to another level. Like a, it, it is different, at least you know. I'm not really sure which one I prefer. Like, in, in a way, I kind of like the uh, the Leopold Bloom style because I. It's kind of how I think, um, but uh, it seems like Wolf is trying something different. Like she's she's she wants to explore the inner individual stream of consciousness, but she's also tying it into something bigger. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and to think about like what her personal stream of consciousness probably was like. Virginia Wolf. Yeah. Yeah, and how. You know, I, I mean, it's all speculation, but it could have been really fragmented and trying to, like, really create something more cohesive, possibly, with her characters. Well, I don't know. Well, that movie, um, The Hours, and she appears in that movie, and uh, that's supposed to be, I think that movie is supposed to be 1923 or something, 23 to 25 at least, maybe 25, but uh, she's totally disjointed and just completely internalized um at one point i think her sister and her sister's kids come over and she's uh they're talking to her and she's just out in space like she's 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 just thinking about her characters Mm -hmm. Um, so i i don't know if she was really that disturbed at that time or not like they're like now people are thinking maybe she she was manic depressive because she had she but she did have these periods of of, of mania, which were f- fully lucid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure, like, if she was always depressed and so much of a lunatic continually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> but, sure there were ebbs and flows, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. no, it'd be interesting, I think, to to read her diary on that account because maybe you would. 
you mm. get a sense of her uh, kind of inner dialogue stuff. Yeah, that would be amazing. That so that's really interesting because you know what you basically said, Zenor, was that Joyce captured the way the brain functions, right? And yeah, so that yeah. it's like the brain's stream of consciousness in its authenticness process. But then uh, Virginia Woolf took that, that stream of consciousness and then turned it, made it literary, you know, like made it into art. So it's, yeah. I mean, so Joyce is still art, but it's, it's like, it's difficult because it's like the, the functioning of an organ. And whereas she, um, she transformed it into a, a literary, oh man, I had a, a point beyond this that just totally disappeared. <laughs> well, and it, it sort of goes back to the, her idea or her discovery of the, of the, of the characters being caves and then the caves connecting um, if you go deeper and deeper into it, all the caves connect at some point, right? Um, so I, it, al- it almost seems like that sort of poetic or literary voice is where all the caves connect, you know? Mm. Um, so she's tapping into this sort of um, archetypal realm of the imagination. Um, and, uh, yeah, exactly what you said, like like turning turning the inner voice into into poetry but uh i don't know did did your point come back or it never came back it (laughs) 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 yeah no uh yeah i'll look out for her books some more yeah i definitely want to read more and just learn more about her she has a bad rep like not not um like not bad in the sense that people don't like her. Oh, person, now I remembered they, it. Here it is. And so like <laughs> Philip K. Dick, where it seems like he was definitely translating his own madness to the page in a in a kind of artistic way also. That that was the, the third person that I was thinking of. Where I but he's probably more like her in that you know you know what i'm i'm getting at here so like uh like you were saying reading her diary i I'm, that would be a curiosity to me too just because they're both trying to translate this experience into something that other people can make sense of but i think they're also they probably both are uh you know trying to do something you know of Im- Im- importance as well you know something mm, yeah. you know like they are artists and they want to create works of art and they want to transform their experiences into something that uh you know is on that that higher level i think there's a good comparison with with dick you know because they they both went mad in the, in the similar way um like dick's also going back to this kind of uh like roman times uh yeah, yeah. I wonder if it's too, you know, creating art out of their experience is a way of, to um, understand it and put meaning to what's happening to them. Yeah, I'd, I'd say definitely. Like she, it's almost like uh, that's her way of dealing with her madness in, in a yeah, sense. You know? Trying to figure it out. Yeah. Kind of ground it a bit. Yeah. Like, yeah, if she wasn't able to write, like, that's the whole thing about the rest cure, you know, and they talk about in the, in the book, um, Bradshaw is a proponent of the rest cure, which is bring these people suffering shell shock or schizophrenia or anything, bring them into the countryside, um, isolate them, take them away from books and, and writing and all you'd have is nature and fresh air and you eat a lot of food and you, you just get nice and fat and grounded, you know, yeah. and then they, and then they let you go. But for Virginia Woolf, that th- even the idea of that was, was a hell, you know, cause she'd have no access to writing. She'd have no access to books. She'd have no access to culture, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and, 
uh, yeah, I totally think that's, I totally agree with what you said, that that's keeping her alive, you know, those, those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we fast forward to David Foster Wallace and he, you know, he's saying that the, our connection is going to undo us. It's going to isolate us. Yeah. What, what do you mean connection? I... It, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's the, it's like the, our Facebook reality where we're completely connected now and we're mm-hmm. more isolated than ever. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, right with the the connection, including technology, because you can connect and not be in the same space. Like right now, for instance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny because when I'm when I'm talking to you guys, I have to close my eyes and, and go really deep into my head for the words to come out. (laughs) Me too. Mostly because I'm hungover. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we'll call that 42 minutes. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you. Sorry for my technical difficulties from the beginning. You've been listening to the 42-Minute Seasonal Book Club. Be sure to check out other book club shows at 42minutes.com. For more information about The Sick Book or our guests to check out past shows or subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast, check out others as currently all The Sick Book radio archives are free. We also feature a great search engine to help you find what you need. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com. Thanks so much. And here was one room and there was another. Yeah.
Sol. 